good enough to lift the third of our cleat. Watch it, jerk. Shut up, idiot, moron. Gab eater. Watch this. Hot liquor. Fart smeller. <laughs> you eat dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mix your weed with your mama's phone jam. Yeah. yeah. You bop grapples in the toilet. And you like it. You play ball like a girl. Oh, my, 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 those are fighting words indeed. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to that cozy little corner of cyberspace we call the Sunday Night Sandlot, brought to you by SoCalledFantasyExperts.com. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, and I would like to welcome you aboard for what we hope will be an entertaining and informative 60 minutes of fantasy baseball news and analysis. Spring training continues to roll along, and major league rosters are beginning to take shape with players being reassigned to minor league camps on almost a daily basis. Fantasy baseball draft season is, of course, upon us, and during this week's show, we hope to bring you some tips that will hopefully help you to dominate your fantasy league. This week, we will conclude our sleepers and busts discussion with our attention focused on pitching. We'll talk about some undervalued starting pitchers and also pay a visit to the bullpen to see what hidden fantasy gems might be hiding there. That's coming up a little bit later on in the show. But first, a bit of fantasy baseball current event news. This past weekend marked the final round of auctions and, in this case, kind of a hybrid draft in that famous series of industry leagues known as Tout Wars. These are, of course, the leagues which inspired the book Fantasyland, and they are recognized as being home to some of the best fantasy baseball players on the planet. These experts gathered in New York City to assemble their respective teams and in the process kind of set the tone for the upcoming fantasy draft season. Tonight, we are going to be talking to one of those experts, and he's going to give us some insight as to what it was like to be part of Tout Wars and tell us a little bit about his team. If that sounds like a good time to you, pull up a chair and let's talk some baseball. So who? Might you ask, is this Tout Wars fantasy baseball expert who's going to share so much of his experience with us tonight? Why, he is none other than my counterpart here in the cyber studio. He is the co-founder of SoCalledFantasyExperts.com, a veteran of the fantasy sports industry, has been playing fantasy baseball for over 20 years. He's currently in charge of aggregation efforts at the Fantasy Sports Network and represents them in the Labor Mixed Experts League. Ladies and gentlemen, may I be among the first? to introduce him as a member of the inaugural Tout Wars X Fantasy Baseball League. Please say hello to the Roto Daddy himself, Mr. Doug Anderson. Doug, first and foremost, congratulations for being invited to this prestigious league. How are you doing today? Well, thank you, Buck. First, for the Tout Wars X you know, uh, news and everything. And I must say, they do have some of the greatest minds in fantasy baseball there. And then they invited me, too, so it was exciting. Yeah, now, tell us a little bit. This is Tout Wars is not just a group of people getting together and, and making picks. This is kind of an entire weekend, uh, a whole event, as it were. Give us a little bit of the feel for you know what it's like in being in New York City and and part of this big deal because they they treat it they treat it like a very big deal. Well, it is a very big deal, and it was, it was really special to me having you know, from afar for so long, and having never been to New York City, so it it was a big deal, and 
getting into the city on Friday morning, you know, Jake Seeley from Roto Experts and, and a few of us others met at Playwrights, along with Mr. David Ganos, our, our founder of so-called Fantasy Experts. Uh, it was really a chance to meet some of the people that you've been reading or listening to with Lar Michaels and Ron Chandler since I started in fantasy back in 1993. These, you know, some of the names that were around back then are still the driving forces behind this. So it was really an incredible experience. And then Saturday, when you get to the actual drafts, they held them at City Crab in New York City, which was a fine venue. They had plenty of space for the drafts. Uh, Sirius XM was there, and the whole atmosphere was just. A bunch of baseball fans who happen to also know everything in the world about the stats getting together and sharing whatever beverage of choice it was and talking baseball. It, it, it reminded me of when you were a kid, at least when I was a kid, talking with your buddy from you know seventh grade, and all you guys talked about was baseball. So it had that kind of old school feel to it. Yeah, and you you touched on some of the the names that have been in the industry for a very very long time, and I've been fortunate enough to to meet and chat with a lot of those folks that you you just mentioned. Found them to be very approachable, very nice, and and willing to as you say just sit and and, and talk baseball, and uh, a, a great group of people, and uh, it's it, it it's an awesome experience to sit down and, and just share information with them and, and share the love and the passion for the game. I do want to ask you something though, because the, the, the draft itself, one of the coolest things I thought that they did for last year's winners was done by, I believe the bar is called Foley's in, in New York city. Tell me a little bit. You actually get to pick a dish for the menu that they serve during the, the, the tout wars auctions. What, what's up with that? Oh, yeah, it was sweet. And I think that might be the ultimate prize for every fantasy baseball player. Friday, or I'm sorry, Saturday night after the drafts at Foley's in New York City, which is just across from the Empire State Building, basically. The menu features appetizers, main course, and a dessert from the winners from the previous year. So, you know, that is definitely something to aspire to. And you know you've made it when you can say that. Now, i I got to ask you two questions. You, you said, you know, meeting all these legends in the industry and, and all these people and all sitting down. Any butterflies uh, at all, Mr. Anderson? Oh, certainly. You know, I've I've been in the industry for a while. But when you're meeting Ron Chandler, who's done so much, and Laura Michaels, and I, I, I could go on and on with the names, even though I've talked with them on podcasts, things like that, you're still meeting these people, and you want to make sure you measure up in some way. At least you don't look stupid. So, you know, there are butterflies, and it's a bit like meeting, you know, a star in a manner of speaking, but you're right. Everybody was so incredible. I could go on and on with the names that I met for the first time and everybody was just so friendly and, you know, sharing what they've been doing, asking what you've been doing. It, it was an incredible experience. All right. Last question. going to put you on the spot. At any point during that time, did your mind drift to thoughts of, Hmm, I wonder what dish I should request if I win next year. After the Tout Wars X draft, I have to admit, I saw Tim McLeod's nice dessert there with a brownie <laughs> sundae, 
And uh, I'm thinking I'm going to have some kind of dessert if I ever get the uh, the luxury of having my menu, my name on the menu item. Very nice. Talk a little bit about Tout Wars X. This is the first year. In, in the traditional Tout Wars, you had the American League only auction. You had the National League only auction. Then you had the mixed league draft, mixed league auction. This Tout Wars X is, is kind of a hybrid of salary cap and a draft. Talk us through that real quick. How does that work? Well, you know, when I started fantasy baseball, it was all it was all auctions, and we did NL or AL only leagues. Then mixed leagues and the snake drafts came around, and then finally daily. And honestly, this is kind of an amalgamation of all of those things. You are drafting players, so it is a snake draft. We went 1 through 10, 10 through 1, so it's a snake draft. However, those players have assigned values already, so you're not just drafting the value of the player or or the stats of the player, but you're also drafting that salary. And we had the 23 standard starting positions, and I think it was nine reserve players. So you're drafting 32 players, and you've got to stay under $300. So you got your salary cap aspect there so you know i always said it was something like salary cap games are like putting a puzzle together but then when you take it into a snake draft field it's like somebody's stealing the puzzles from you then you bring the it's not daily but it's monthly so we're going to use these rosters for the first month and then starting in month two we draft a whole new team so it's kind of you're right. It's a hybrid of everything I think I've ever done in fantasy baseball. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, the attention grabbing headline, I guess, from the Tout Wars X draft is Mike Trout goes in round two. Um, only format I could think of where Mike Trout would actually go in round two, but as you said, his value as set by the, the salary cap game was $41. That's a big bite to take of your two or your excuse me, $300. So maybe Mike Trout is not the number 1 pick and in this particular auction draft he was not uh Bryce Harper was, correct? Right. Andrew Lamont from uh Roto Experts took Bryce Harper who was at $15. And I think all of the so-called experts in the draft, and I use that because we are so-called experts, it was kind of balancing between the cost of the player and what you expected them to produce. So I think everyone was a little leery about getting to a point later in the draft and not having money to get decent players. So I think early on, a lot of people were very conservative as far as spending goes, and they were looking for the the very good players who also happened to have a nice lower salary attached to them. So Bryce Harper did go off the board first at $15, and I came into the draft thinking I still wanted the best players. I was confident that I could get values later on on the pitching side. And so I came in thinking Trout wouldn't be around for my number nine pick, and I had Troy Tulowitzki locked in my head. My thinking is that if we knew Troy Tulowitzki wasn't going to get hurt, he would be the second or third player off the board in any standard draft, I would think, with how dominating he is and at the shortstop position. There's just no one like him. So I had Tulowitzki locked in. I took him with the number nine pick, 
and then Trout came to me with the number 12 pick. So I started out my draft with Troy Tulowitzki and Mike Trout, and I was pretty happy at that point. Yeah, and this is an OBP league, so Tulowitzki's value just increases exponentially because he is an absolute OBP beast and, as you say, at a position that doesn't have a great depth of talent. Run through the first round for you real quick. Bryce Harper at 15, Adam Jones at 13, Jose Abreu at 30. The fourth pick was was one that, quite honestly, I looked at and said, boy, that has the potential to return a lot of value. Chris Davis of Baltimore at $11. And, again, an OBP format, going to hit a bunch of home runs, going to drive in a bunch of runs, not going to drag you down with batting average for $11, that has a chance to to put some really nice returns. Clayton Kershaw at 40, Miguel Cabrera at 26, Jose Batista at 36, Goldschmidt at 34, and then you took Tulowitzki at 27, and then Anthony Rizzo at 25. And then the second pick of round two, of course, you took uh, Trout at $41. Now, this league plays out for a month, correct? And then you, you... basically re-pick your team with new va- new draft values and then there's a it's it's a, an aggregate at the end of the year that determines who wins correct right yeah this first draft since it was live at tout wars nobody could roster the same player once we draft for the right. second month everybody will be drafting in the you know, the comfort of their own homes and it'll follow the more traditional, uh, traditional as far as Chandler Park goes, the rules where, similar to daily, several owners could roster the same player. So but for the first month, everybody had unique players, unique rosters. Starting in month two, you will have several similar players, most likely. The one month at a time is the reason I really went with Tulowitzki, because if you're just taking a chance on 30 days and he's healthy right now, I I thought that really increased Tulowitzki's value a lot. Yeah, you don't have to worry about what happens in July, because he'll probably be on somebody else's team in July. So, it's yeah, it's, it's a, a different way of looking at it. What's your give me give me a general impression? What do you think about the the Tout Wars X concept? Do you think it's something that maybe is going to gain a foothold in the industry and and kind of garner a share of of the players' interest? Well, I, I think Tout Wars X is going to be a slightly different format every year. We're we're there trying new things out with us. We're the guinea pigs, and we get really the honor of trying these new things out. And this this format where you're drafting salaries already attached, it was hard i mean there are a lot of decisions to be made and you could tell that people were making their decisions based on different you know criteria so i i love the format and we were all talking about different ways after the draft would we have done something different you know so it brought a lot of discussion about and a lot of the the touts from the other drafts were stopping by and checking things out so it it did seem to get a lot of attention yeah it's it tends to open a, another dimension to a game that's been around since, you know, the early 1980s. It, it brings another element to it. And as you said, a whole different set of strategy. And I, I like it. I, I played uh, last month or last year at, um, at Chandler Park. I, I played this game and it's a, it's an interesting game and it does change things because a lot of it is based on value, but not all of it is based on value. So it's, it's a very entertaining game, and I think it has a really nice future. And 
to to you and and your uh, your fellow uh, players who were in this first group. Again, congratulations, because many may follow, but there will only be one who was first. And y'all have the opportunity to be pioneers and, and maybe open up a, a complete another side of, of this game that we uh, we love so much. Anything else to, uh, to add about your experience in New York, Doug? No, it, it was just incredible to meet all these people. And the fantasy baseball community is just incredible. We had people stopping by who were eating dinner at this place, and they were talking, oh, we drafted him for this much. And it, it was nice to see people, just regular people, not us big old stars, you know, uh, regular right. people coming by and commenting on the players. And, oh, isn't he kind of expensive? Yeah, so it was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it again. Fantastic. Folks, if you would like to know more about Tout Wars X, go to toutwars.com, and there's a link for Tout Wars X right on their page, and it'll kind of walk you through. the. There's a couple of spreadsheets on there with all of their drafts. And for more information on the monthly salary cap game upon which Tout Wars X is based, that can be found, and you can actually play these games too, that can be found at chandlerpark.com, and that's S-H-A-N-D-L-E-R, P-A-R-K.com. A lot more information for you there. Folks, you are listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with so-called fantasy experts co-founder, the Roto Daddy himself, Doug Anderson. We have been talking Tout Wars Weekend. Congratulations again to Doug for being included in this prestigious event. Good luck to all of the participants in all of the Tout Wars events this year. Now it is time to continue our 2015 Fantasy Sleepers and Bus discussion. We covered position players on the last show, so now it's time to toe the bump and talk pitchers. A lot of talent out there this year, and conventional wisdom says wait on pitching and maybe try to find the values later on in the draft, which segues very nicely into what we're going to be talking about. Doug, how do you feel about uh, the actual strategy of the pitching position? Is it something you go seeking an ace right away, or do you kind of wait and value shop? Well, I know, generally speaking, when there's more of something available, that brings the cost down. So you would think that you need to wait on pitching, all pitching. But one thing I think we're seeing is that with so much solid pitching, it's harder to gain an advantage. So I, I do think... Typically, I've been trying to grab one ace-type pitcher in the first three rounds, and then I'll grab a secondary pitcher. The one I've been trying to get, grab everywhere is Carlos Carrasco this year. So I've got my my ace and then another pitcher I think is very close to that level, and then I wait for the rest of my pitching until well after the you know after the fifteenth round or so. Yeah, and that's a fairly common strategy. I've been in a, in a couple of industry leagues, and it seems like yeah, people wait on pitching, but only to a point. They will try to find a, a cornerstone, an anchor for the rotation. You don't see them waiting into round six and seven to take their first pitcher. If they do, they'll typically take a couple of of low end number two, high end number one, uh, uh, low end number one, high end number two pitchers, very close together, just to give themselves a little a little more cushion between the the, the top starter and their second starter. So. Hunting sleepers or undervalued pitchers is is a fairly common strategy. So there's probably going to be a lot of competition to know exactly when to take these so-called sleeper pitchers. 
And you mentioned Carlos Carrasco. He's somebody that has been on so many sleeper lists. It's almost he's, he's elevated to the point where he's not a sleeper anymore because he's kind of at the top of everybody's sleeper list. Yeah. And, and I absolutely do love the guy, but like any other player, I have to, to value shop. I, I would love to have Carlos Carrasco, but I'm not going to draft him in the fourth round. Um, somebody that I like, Doug, and I don't know, one of the things and I, I have an article up on so-called fantasy experts about how to spot an undervalued pitcher. And one of the ways to spot an undervalued pitcher is someone who pitches down in the rotation and maybe who pitches on a smaller market team. Now, Chicago, of course, is a big city, but in Chicago, it's all about the Cubs. And so the White Sox, you know, you're you're kind of playing second fiddle in your own town, but they have a pitcher named Jose Quintana. Last two seasons, 400 innings pitch, a little over, ERAs 351, 332, whips of 122, 124. He struck out 154 and 178 batters. Last year, his run support was 10th worst in the American League, so he didn't win many games. But this guy is the last two seasons rock solid, consistent. The White Sox went out. They got Melky Cabrera, Adam LaRoche, and of course, Jose Abreu is still there. One of my breakout picks for this year, Avisel Garcia is there, that projects to be a really good starting lineup. So he should get more run support. And if he goes out there and just keeps doing what he's doing, I can see him winning 13 to 15 games this year. What uh, you, you got any thoughts on Quintana? I like, I like Quintana as long as you get him later. Uh, you know, his ERA, we talk about how the offense is down. Well, that means ERAs are down. So when you're talking about a 3.5 ERA, that's about – in a fantasy league, that's about league average. So he's not really helping you there. He's not hurting. But he's one of those pitchers, starting pitchers, I want as my fifth or sixth starting pitcher. And then I feel good because, like you say, I think the White Sox are going to be a lot better team. So I think the wins are going to follow. You don't chase wins, but you try to put yourself in position to get them. And I do like him that late. I just don't think there's a whole lot of upside. I prefer to grab maybe pitchers who aren't as reliable. Now, remember, we're talking about sixth, seventh starting pitcher. So um, if I've got my five or six I feel good about, then I'm going to grab higher upside. If I don't, then I grab Quintana, who I, I do feel like you can rely on for that stability you're talking about. Yeah, and a lot of people talk upside. I, I, to me, there's an awful lot to be said for a high floor. If somebody has a fairly low ceiling but a high floor – you know what you're getting. You're not constantly rolling the dice. And in the case of Quintana, his ADP runs around 180-ish, anywhere through about 200. But he'll consistently fall. He doesn't have the name value. But you say the name Jose Quintana, everybody goes, "Uh, who? And that's a good thing because if he's not a high-profile guy, he's going to give you some very good strikeout numbers, decent ratios for uh, 180th, 180th pick overall that to me is is value in that high floor so that's that's why i like uh like quintana now let's talk ceiling a little bit now we're going to go high ceiling and i'm going to throw a name out and uh, let you kind of take it doug taiwan walker i i can't believe how ignored he is in fantasy drafts last year he was possibly the one of the top few pitching prospects in baseball. He's going to be pitching in 
one of the top three parks for pitchers on a team that looks like it's much improved and going to win plenty of games, but he's being ignored. And I know we don't pay attention to spring training numbers too much, but this year he has let yet to allow an earned run. He had some arm mm-hmm. issues last year that kind of slowed him down. It was nothing serious, but he just couldn't ever get in a groove. But even last year, you look at his numbers when he was on the mound, and they're pretty darn good. And then what he's doing this year, that's the type of ceiling I want. And I don't feel like the floor with him is that low. If he isn't doing well, you know what? He's not going to start. He's they, They're going to send him down. So I don't mind that. I'd rather have that than a pitcher that blows up and hurts my team. So Taiwan Walker is he is on so many of my teams. And you're drafting him at a point where he's your sixth starter or seventh starter. That's not risk. People talk about, oh, you got to take risk. That's not risk. That's all you have is reward, or you just grab another starter. In a typical 12-team mixed league, there's plenty of decent starters where you can plug someone in, maybe stream pitchers during a week where they have good matchups. So Taiwan Walker, to me, is one of the, the best values out there as far as starting pitching goes. Yeah, and by the way, you got him for a buck in Tout Wars X, which that was amazing to me that he was – and, again, when the values are set, they're set, you know, really – kind of before spring training really gets rolling, but you have him for a dollar. I really like that for the first month. And you're correct. You don't read too much into spring training numbers sometimes. Walker, in September of last year, as you said, he had some injury problems, came back, pitched 23 innings in September, had a 196 earned run average, 20 strikeouts, and 23 innings pitched. This spring, 18 innings, he's given up all of six hits and four walks. In 18 innings, struck out 19. All that is is a continuation of what we saw last September. I feel like this guy is real. This is not an aberration. This is not just somebody on a hot streak. This was somebody, as you said, Doug, a very highly touted prospect who had a little bit of injury trouble. He's only 22, folks. Uh, the the ceiling for Taiwan Walker, I believe, is as a number two starting pitcher, and I think the only reason he's as a number two is because Felix Hernandez is in Seattle. I I really do see very close to ace quality in uh, in this young man's potential, and yeah, where he's going right now in drafts in the two fifty something range is uh, is is kind of absurd. So you're right, there's next to no risk here. So uh, go ahead, late in the draft. Uh, grab this guy, and if if he turns out to be everything that that I think he can be, uh, you you've gotten yourself a, an enormous bargain. Doug, throw uh, throw somebody out there who you like. I'll go a little lower down the rung. I, well, I don't know if he's lower than uh, Taiwan Walker, but someone who doesn't get a lot of love. He doesn't get the strikeouts, but I feel like you, know, you talked about high upside, high high floors. There's kind of different levels of starting pitchers. And one of the pitchers I've been getting a lot, I feel like he adds some stability because I'm taking some shots on some some pitchers that aren't going to work out. That's the thing with sleepers. You're going to draft some, and that high upside, sometimes it doesn't pan out. So I feel like I need someone to balance things out. Henderson Alvarez from the Marlins. He's not going to match the 2.8 ERA or whatever it was last year, something very nice. But He's going to add stability. He's got the type of stuff that's going to defy some of the metrics. He throws 94, 95 with a heavy sinker. You're not going to get the strikeouts. But like I say, I think he balances things out and allows me to take some shots elsewhere. 
Right, and a decent supporting cast, too. Uh, you think the Marlins, and you may think, well, they're not going to score any runs, they're not going to score any runs. That's a pretty good lineup they're putting together, and I think that he's going to get some run support, and this is another guy that you're taking as probably your last starting pitcher, so where's the risk, right? Right, exactly, and that if I'm going to take shots, I like to take shots in Oakland, Seattle, San Diego, and the ballpark down in Miami is a pretty good pitcher's place, too. Right, and don't look past that. That there's, the, the ballpark factors are very important. Somebody that's pitching in, say, Baltimore versus someone that's pitching in, of course, Seattle, San Diego, yeah, those, those fly balls, they get in that, the, the cavernous outfield, and you, know, you end up with a lot of 385-foot flyouts. Well, guess what? They count one out just like a strikeout does. So don't uh, don't look past that at all. Throw another name out for you, Doug. Stay in uh, stay in the American League with uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. A guy that you look at his numbers and you think, why isn't he a little bit higher? Struck out 184 guys in 184.1 innings last year. Uh, Drew Hutchison from the Blue Jays looks like he actually may start opening day. And 24 years old, another guy that looks like he has a pretty decent upside been really really good this spring era is 1.8 of like a 196 batting average against in 15 innings again you kind of discount the spring stats but that's pretty darn good and again it's a continuation of what we saw last season era last year 448 but FIP that i really has started to use an awful lot this year fielding independent pitching kind of takes away the things that are outside a pitcher's control, like bad defense, what have you, and puts it into a number that is kind of expressive of an earned run average. And, and I hope I'm explaining that right. His FIP was 385. ERA of 448, 385 FIP tells me that he was actually a better pitcher than 448. And this is somebody, again, I see not a lot of uh, downside but a tremendous upside. Any thoughts on Drew Hutchison? Well, I think what you're seeing is, you know, a young pitcher, as you mentioned, there's obviously some volatility, but what you saw last year was that he made improvement throughout the season. His second half was better than the first half, so you like that. I know a lot of people, you know, when you take all the numbers in baseball and put them together, they found that second half stats are no more predictive in value than any other group of stats. But I, th- I think you can you can take a player in his context and look at numbers, and it can help you make decisions. And when you see a young pitcher who gradually made that improvement, it seems logical. I'm willing to put a little bit of weight in that, that he has learned as he's gone, and he's getting better as a pitcher. And I, you know, some of it's numbers. He was a little bit unlucky last year um, with Babbitt. He got better as the season went on. I think we're seeing a young pitcher who's going to take a pretty big step forward this year. And he, he is another pitcher that I'm, he's my anchor. I wrote an article about building a pitching staff after the 15th round. Well, your staff anchors change when you're drafting after the 15th round, but Drew Hutchinson is my anchor. One of my anchors, if I'm going to draft late. Right, and another guy that pitches in a kind of below-the-radar market, especially in the American League East. Everything's all about the Red Sox and Yankees. Well, the Blue Jays look like they're going to be pretty good. They're going to score a bunch of runs for sure, and their pitchers are going to be the beneficiaries of that. So this this is another 
example of somebody that maybe pitches a little below the radar that you can take advantage of. And the good news is uh, he doesn't have to face the Blue Jays. Yeah, he doesn't have to face the Blue Jays, exactly. <laughs> Folks, you are listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot, brought to you by SoCalledFantasyExperts.com on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davison, along with SoCalled Fantasy Experts co-founder and newest member of Tout Wars, the Roto Daddy himself, Doug Anderson, fantasy, baseball, sleepers, and busts. Specifically, we're talking pitchers. Even more specifically, we're talking starting pitchers. Doug and I have been running through some of our picks to be undervalued this year. Some guys that maybe you can get at the end of your draft that are going to return really nice value. I just talked about Drew Hutchison from Toronto. Doug, who else you got? Uh, we talked about the ballparks. How about Drew Pomerantz in Oakland? You know, you've got the perfect setting. He's going to be pitching a little later in the rotation. He was he was drafted number seven. Uh, trying to remember what year it was, but he was drafted the same year as Chris Sale, and actually drafted before Chris Sale. So to me, everything adds up. He showed flashes last year. You're going to get a pretty good package for him. It's all about being healthy and just staying on top of his control. And it looks like he made those steps last year. I think this year you're going to get the type of fit pitcher that I, I could easily see him turning into a number three type fantasy starter. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, Oakland being what it is, they they may or may not score a lot of runs, but I do have faith in Billy Dean. I, I kind of looked over this winter at what in the world is he doing? But then it occurs to me that I say that a lot about Billy Dean, and he always seems to find a way to win. So they may not score a bunch of runs, but as you said, that ballpark in Oakland is a very, very pitcher-friendly park. And somebody like Pomerantz, who has good, uh, he has a good uh, prospect pedigree. This is somebody that could go out and, again, under the radar, but come in and, and turn in a really, really serviceable season. That, and on that the topic, whole A's rotation might be sleepers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll, I'll, a brilliant segue, Mr. Anderson, because I was about <laughs> to talk about another member of that Oakland rotation, and he was somebody that actually – the Rays at one point in time uh, had in their system. And I was very sorry to see him go. Jesse Hahn, brilliant curveball, as probably as good a curveball as there is in the game, had uh, pitched 73 and a third last year, 7-4 uh, record, 307 earned run average, 121 whip, 70 strikeouts. Uh, guy that's going to average close to a strikeout an inning. A little bit of a health concern but he seems like he works everything off that curveball a little bit like somebody we talked about a little bit ago, Jose Quintana, but with a great curveball. He he uses that curveball to set up a lot of his other pitches, and it makes his other pitches better. Any thoughts on Jesse Hahn? Well, I think you mentioned the health, and probably there's going to be some type of innings limitation on him. But when we're talking about a pitcher that you're you're using at the back end of your fantasy rotation, or maybe you're streaming him off of your bench, we don't really care about the innings limitation. We want to we want to know that the pitchers we put in there, when we use them, are going to give us quality numbers. And you're right, I don't I don't see too much danger in using Jesse Hahn. The point he's going in drafts, I think all you get is is upside. With my sixth or seventh starting pitcher. I want to know that I'm not going to damage my ERA and my whip, and I think the A's are going to win enough games where he's going to have, you know, nine, 
to 12 wins. And I think that's great when it comes with the other numbers that he's going to provide. Yeah, and as, as you said, the innings numbers, yeah, if there's an innings count, whatever, that plays a little more into effect if you're in a head-to-head league where you need all your top players at the end of the year. But if you can get quality numbers, even if someone, say, has 150 innings, uh, 130 innings, what have you, limit, and those are really good quality innings that you get for your fantasy team, that still goes into your bank in the in a rotisserie league. So don't get too crazy about innings limits if you've got another plan in place, especially in a shallow, a shallower league where the waiver wire is going to, to give you some, some serviceable starters. Who else you got in the uh, sleeper department, Doug? Oh, let me go. There's so many pitchers I like. So let me go down here. Derek Holland from Texas, you know, a couple of years ago, he struck out 180 batters. I believe it was pretty much ignored, had some injury issues, but it wasn't arm related. You know, He's being ignored. He's another one of those pitchers that I feel pretty safe with. He's probably not going to turn into a, a star by any means. But again, my fifth, sixth starting pitcher, I want some level of stability, and I think he brings that as long as he's healthy. And he, you know, he's being ignored. Nobody's talking about him in fantasy at fantasy sites. You can get him probably in the in the last couple rounds in your draft or even in the reserve round. So it's another pitcher I feel pretty safe with who's still got a little bit of upside left. Everybody wants to chase upside, and that's fine. I, I love upside pitchers, and, and Walker is a great example of one with, with tremendous upside. But I like to balance that upside with pitchers like Quintana with uh, Holland. And those are the guys that you know what you're going to get. You're going to get solid innings. You're, you're not going to have to worry. The, the, the floor is very high. Maybe the upside isn't there, but maybe it doesn't have to be because you're getting them so cheap. As you said, he's being basically ignored. He pitches in Texas, so that's kind of off the radar. Nobody really expects the Rangers to be very good this year, but that's off the radar, and that doesn't matter. It, it's a case of does he is he going to give you some serviceable innings, some decent strikeout numbers? And the answer is yes. And, and in case one of your high upside picks doesn't work out, it's nice to have those kind of fallback options. Let me give you somebody. He's, he's along the same lines, probably going a little bit before Quintana, around, around pick 100, 120. And I actually saw this guy pitch in Arizona back in 2011, I think. Was not impressed. Had kind of a an odd delivery. And you, you, you watched him pitch and you went, what in the world? Uh, Tyson Ross from San Diego. And this, this plays along with the ballpark theme because, of course, Petco Park, it's about as good as it gets when it comes to being a pitcher's park. Ross has, and we just talked about Han, how good his curveball is. Ross has a slider that is just extraordinary, and he uses it a lot. That's a good thing and a bad thing, but he's, he's a tall guy. He's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six. and when he got to San Diego, the pitching coach tweaked his mechanics a little bit. Uh, Darren Balsley is the guy's name in San Diego, and he tweaked his mechanics a little bit, and things really started to click. Give you an example. Last year, 281 earned run average, and he only finished 13 and 14 with that kind of an earned run average. Uh, he was 16th in ERA in, in baseball. He was 16th in ERA among qualifiers, 15th in strikeouts and strikeouts per nine, 
struck out 195 batters in 196 innings, and he was eighth best in batting average against, and he finished 13 and 14. His run support was horrible. That figures to change this year because of the bats San Diego has added. And one of the things I talked about in the article on so-called fantasy experts about looking for sleeper starting pitchers, what is the supporting cast? And San Diego's supporting cast, their offense is a lot better than it was at this time last year. So Ross should have a chance to win a lot of games this year. A little bit of a health concern because he, a couple reasons. The mechanics are still a little bit odd, and he does throw that slider an awful lot. Missed, uh, I think, his last start of the season last year with a forearm tendon strain. But he's going, he went at 148 in the Tout Wars mixed draft. His, his ADP is, is around 100, but are concerned, and they're sliding him down the board. I'm saying don't let him fall too far because he is showing signs of being a, a very, very valuable pitcher, both in real life and in fantasy baseball. Uh, Doug, any thoughts on Tyson Ross? I think he's doing more than showing signs. He has been for the last year and a half. You know, a, it, I talked earlier about getting one ace and then my second ace that maybe is a little bit unappreciated. Tyson Ross is right there. He's being picked, at least in the Fantasy Pros consensus ADP, which kind of uh, mixes uh, several sites together. He's going off the board at number 92. Mike Carlos Carrasco is going off, off the board at 98. I think you have to say that Tyson Ross is probably more reliable. And if you're worried about injuries, you know, how many injuries have we seen in pitchers over the last couple of years? I think any pitcher you take is at risk. We can try to be Nostradamus and predict injuries, but so far there's really not too much reason to worry with Ross for the immediate future. Uh, yes, I think believe he pitched yesterday and struck out 12 hitters in six innings. So evidently yep. the slider is still there. You know, yeah, it was probably a mix of major league and minor league hitters, but it's you're seeing the stuff is there. So I think we can pretty much rely on what we got last year. And although I think maybe the San Diego offense is being a little overrated with their additions, it's definitely going to be better than it was last year. So you have to like Ross to, to top that 13, in, 13 wins. You've got to think he's going to get 15 or above if he pitches like he did last year. Yeah, and something else that, that strikes me about that record is 13 and 14. That's 27 decisions. That's he was around. Going deep into games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was around. And so if you – you know, do a little extrapolation and figure that a couple of those losses might go the other way this year, you're looking at a guy that's going to win 15, 16 games. So I don't think that's unreasonable to expect at all. And like you say, the, the floor is, is pretty high, but I also think there's a pretty decent ceiling with, with Tyson Ross. I, I, I think there, there's some very good things ahead for him. Doug, who else you got in the sleeper department? Oh, let's take a look down the list. There's so many. One thing I do want to say is right now, Danny Salazar got sent down. Everybody's going to be yep. completely forgetting about him. And Kevin Gosman, the Orioles are talking about possibly pitching him out of the bullpen and letting Ubaldo Jimenez start in the rotation. What I want to say is don't forget about Salazar. Don't forget about Gosman. Right. These are two talented pitchers. Maybe for the first month or so, yeah, their value's down. But we've seen what they can do in spurts. And at some point this year, Salazar's going to get back in that rotation. We saw last year he had some issues early. In the second half, he was very good. 
stick with him. Keep a reserve slot if you have them. If you have the ability to have reserves, enough of them, keep Salazar, keep Gosman. They're going to be valuable at some point this year. So I still like them, even though things right now aren't, you know, they're right now they're those sleepers who didn't work out. That doesn't mean it won't change. But another pitcher I like is right here in Tampa. He's dealing with a little bit of tendonitis right now. But Drew Smiley, the reports lately have been positive. He's still going to be a very good pitcher. And when pitchers go to Tampa Bay, the ballpark's good. But for whatever reason, they tend to do outproduce what they've done in the past. So I like Drew Smiley as a, a, a number four fantasy pitcher. You know, we want to see some good things health-wise. But I think he has a, a very high floor, and there's still some upside to come. So I think he's a nice pitcher to have in that there's not much risk, and you're still going to have a pretty good reward. Yeah, and we talked a little bit ago about Darren Balsley in, in San Diego. I think as a pitching coach that makes a difference, I think Jim Hickey belongs in that conversation too. Got to. Because you need you, you need to look no further than Fernando Rodney uh, to, to see <laughs> – that, that Jim Hickey is capable of doing some amazing things with with pitchers that that may have good stuff but just need a little tweaking. And they, when they arrive in yeah either Tampa Bay or San Diego, those kind of things can happen. And it's uh, it's something that you should not discount at all. Uh, Want to move to some busts? Eh? Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some some starting pitcher busts. Um, who who do, you, who do you like, Doug? Who's not going to perform this year? Well, you know, for me, it's all about. I'm going to name two because I'm going to cheat because, but they're big name pitchers that are really not getting much of a discount for what I think are obvious issues in Adam Wainwright and Masahiro Tanaka. Now, you can't argue with what they did last year, but their elbow, shoulder issues, their arm issues are common news, but they don't seem to be getting discounted very much. To me, I, when you're going to make that big of an investment, you're paying, you're not getting a reward because you're paying for it, but there's so much risk built in that neither one of those pitchers are in any of my teams this year, and I'm staying away. I am as well. I, I don't see Tanaka. Unfortunately, I, I do love watching the guy pitch, and oh. Wainwright is one of my favorite starting pitchers to watch. That curveball is just extraordinary. But I, I, I just I was been I've been worried about Wainwright since this winter, and he had a good outing his first time out the spring. Then it was kind of a bumpy outing the next time. Even if he's good to go this year and ends up putting up decent numbers. I think the first month, month and a half of the season is going to be a little bit of a of a struggle for him as he kind of tries to find his way. I, I, and it pains me to say that because, as I say, Wainwright is one of my favorite pitchers to watch. But he, as you say, he's not getting discounted very much. Tanaka, I'm staying away wherever possible. I am very, very worried about uh, about his issues, and I just I, I I'm staying away. I, I I won't pay the price unless the bargain is just just incredible folks you're listening to the sunday night sandlot on blog talk radio i'm your host buck davidson along with so-called fantasy experts co-founder mr doug anderson talking sleepers and busts tonight starting pitchers are our topics we ran through some sleepers and we've kind of started into busts uh, doug i'm going to throw a name out there we, we talked about some guys that were injury risk i'm going to throw one out there I just didn't like the peripheral numbers last year. Uh, Johnny Cueto, 
from the Reds. Uh, obviously, the Reds don't project to be a very good team this year. Cueto last year, extraordinary numbers, two two five earned run average, but batting average on balls in play, two thirty eight. That's extremely low. You have to figure that's going to correct. ERA was two twenty five. The FIP again, fielding independent pitching, was three thirty. That tells me that that two twenty five probably shouldn't have been that low. So I'm looking for some correction there. He's somebody that I don't know I'd call him an outright bust, but if you're going to draft him based on what he did last year, I, I think you're going to be disappointed. Any thoughts on Cueto? Well, to me, he's kind of like the Jose Altuve of pitchers in that you're still going to get a good player. I think Cueto is going to be a very, a very good pitcher. He's going to help you out as long as he stays healthy. But like you mentioned, if you're paying for last year, it's it's not going to happen. You know, his career BABIP was 275, so you got about 40-some points of average if he goes back to career numbers. So, yeah, you're getting a good pitcher. Just don't reach. He's not what he was last year, and, uh, you know, don't pay for that. Yeah, brilliant segue again, Doug. Uh, Doug Fister, let's talk. Uh, kind of the <laughs> same thing, and... and you know how much I thought about Doug Fister when he came to or came to Washington from Detroit. I saw a guy that was going to going to slot into the National League, probably would pitch down in the rotation. Turned out that didn't quite pan out, but he put together an amazing season. He earned run average of 241, but again, we look a little deeper. The batting average on balls in play 262. Strand rate, 83, a little bit over 83%, best in the league among qualifying starting pitchers. Back we go to FIP, a FIP of 3.93, ERA of 241. I just can't see Fister finishing with an earned run average south of three again. You're going to be getting a good pitcher, but you're not going to be getting what you saw in 2014. Any thoughts on Fister? Well, I hate to keep agreeing, but generally speaking, yeah. Uh, I think with Fister, it, it depends a lot on what type of league you're in. You know, a lot of the industry leagues I'm in, he's really not going that high. People see the things you're talking about. And so he's sliding down far enough where, you know, it, it's it's not a problem rostering him. But I think in some you know, some other leagues that you're in, if maybe the owners aren't as experienced or, or don't rely on advanced stats as much, people are going to see that shiny ERA, and they know the Nationals are going to be a very good team. And then, in that case, they might be reaching for him. But but if your league uses strikeouts, you have to move Fister down. Yeah, and that's one of the things with Fister. When you don't strike out a lot of batters, you're kind of depending on that low BABIP and your your fielders and for good things to happen when the ball's put in play. And you think the law of averages eventually is going to work against you. But you're going to get a good pitcher, but you're not going to get what you saw last year. I, I feel very confident of that. All right, Doug, throw somebody out that we won't agree on. Oh, man, that might be hard. I'm going to throw out, <laughs> and being a Cub fan, this hurts me to no end, but I'm going to throw out the name of John Lester. And I'm not only concerned about his tired arm, but I'm concerned about the fact that last year's numbers were so far above his career numbers. And there's no doubting Lester is you know, a money pitcher. He, he, the playoff time comes, and he's there. You know you're going to get quality. But his regular season numbers have not been ace-like. You might think he's an ace, but 
his strikeouts last year were a career best by far. We're talking about, I'm just looking up his ERA, we're talking about just in 2012, his ERA was 4.82, 2013, 3.75, then last year, 2.46. The metrics haven't changed all that much, so that 2.46, I think it's not going to happen. Even with the move to the National League is going to help, but you're not going to see a fantasy ace. You're going to see a solid number two starting pitcher for fantasy purposes, and if you're paying for more... I don't think you're going to get it. Yeah, and and you mentioned what my counterpoint to that would be, which is the move to the National League. The Cubs look like they they should score plenty of runs this year. They've got uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, what is his name again? <clears throat> Boy, help me out. Uh, third third baseman. He's a rookie. No, they traded uh, Darwin. Hasn't Barney. been hasn't been hasn't been in the news too much lately. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, Bryant, Chris Bryant. Oh, you mean that yeah, rookie guy? Yeah, that rookie guy. He's I, I saw a blip about him not too long ago, I think. But the team's going to score some runs. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And we're going to talk about Bryant here in a second. But they're they're definitely going to score some runs. Move to the National League. Uh, I I, I think, yeah, I I think the concerns about Lester are valid, not the the dead arm concern. That seemed like something that he goes through uh, every year. But uh, I, I think the concerns are valid. But I also think that this is a, a pretty decent pitcher. I don't think you're going to see 375. I think you're going to see three, three and a quarter, three and a quarter, 330, something in that area for him for his ERA. But I can understand uh, your, your side of that, that. That yeah, maybe he hasn't been an ace, and he might have been a little bit over, uh, uh, you know, oversold as being an ace. Uh, uh, an, an ace level pitcher, but I, I like what I see. Lester's always been somebody that I've enjoyed watching pitch, and even when he's pitching for the Red Sox, and I think um, I, I think he's pretty solid. But uh, yeah, uh, as with any other pitcher, though, be careful how much you pay versus what you expect to get. Who else can you throw out in the starting rotation, or is it time to move to the bullpen? <laughs> well, I've got a few more that I'm not liking, and since we're talking about these high upside guys later that come along that you know that's my sleepers well i don't love all young young pitchers who come up and do well initially i'm a little bit worried about jake odorizzi here in tampa you know it was fun watching him last year develop as a pitcher and you saw him learn some things and the strikeouts were nice but i'm a little worried his road numbers were atrocious i believe the era was over five and I think we're going to see this year that the hitters kind of figure out what he's doing a little bit. And I don't know that he can repeat what he did last year. So I think if you're looking for the strikeouts late, you might get some. But I'm a little worried that the 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 damage on the side could be a bit too much. Yeah, and we talked about ballpark factors. Don't look past it. What What is it about Tropicana Field? Is it Because I know there's been domes in the past where – the ball just flew out, but it doesn't seem to happen in there. The the air just seems, I don't I don't know. It it just seems just heavy in there. Am I am I completely out of my mind on that? No. Well, the numbers support you, and I I can't put my finger on it. It's the dimensions are nothing extreme. Um, nope. Maybe it's just the pitchers. <laughs> you know, number uh, ballpark numbers are supposed to negate all that. But I don't know if it's been the pitchers that have been there, or if maybe they pump in some of that moist Florida air. But you're right, the ball. <laughs> doesn't seem to carry and it's been a pitcher's park so you like that but with Odorizzi I don't know he just worries me I normally I'd be all over a young pitcher with all those strikeouts but I'm kind of staying away this year yeah who uh who else you got in the uh, in the rotation that you don't like 
in the Rays rotation? <laughs> oh, give me, give me, yeah, give me, uh, give me one. I tell you what, let me let me ask you about that real quick because Alex Cobb has been, a lot of people have been staying away from Alex Cobb. I'm finding it very hard to get too worried about Alex Cobb. Um, what's what's the right side of that coin? Uh, it's tough because you know with all the injuries of the last few years, any type of injury you get the feeling it's leading to the big one, you know, Tommy John surgery. So you start getting worried, but I think you have to take into account how the Rays operate. The Rays are going to shut a pitcher down when they have a fingernail that is ingrown. They're going to shut them down for anything because they don't want that to change their motion, change their mechanics. So they hurt something else. So Alex Cobb, you know, I think three or four days later, he said he was pain free. The Rays, Still going to shut him down for that full week. They're still going to take right. it slow coming back. So you got to take the, into account that the Rays are very cautious. So it probably sounded worse than it was to begin with. So I like Cobb. I'm not going to say I like the fact that he had some injury issues, but I like the fact that it's dropping him down the draft boards, and I'm not too nervous about where he he's probably going. I know ADP doesn't really show over the last week, you know, just those numbers, but I'm sure since his injury or tendonitis, that he's dropped quite a bit. So I think I'm going to like him where he's going now. I was in an industry league earlier this week, and he fell to 138, 139, something like that. And and I took him. And, again, I I see there's, there's an upside here. At 139, your risk is minimized. And then I took uh, Jose Quintana uh, two rounds later or a round later to balance it again. This is a, this is a 20 team league. So it was, it was a little, little ways down the road. Uh, You balance the, a little bit of a risk with a, a solid, know what you're getting kind of a guy. But I think Cobb, uh, and you have to look at the timing too, because at that point, it seemed like every, every, news about every pitcher's elbow was ending up in Tommy John surgery. So that was when that news story broke and everybody's like, Oh no, what's going on. But everything Cobb was saying was, you know, Hey, I basically felt it before the game and I pitched through it. Wasn't that what he, what he had put out there and he had pitched very, very well. So yeah, I'm minimally concerned about that. I I think that he's fine, but yeah, as you said, if, if it comes a, becomes a bargain on the draft board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I tell you what, we're we're coming up on the sixty minute portion of the show here. How you doing? How you holding out? Can we go for another uh, thirty minutes? Do you think? Oh, I think we can cover a little bit here. We'll just go until we uh, run out of information. But then again, we don't have three more hours, sure. so. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I can. Yeah. We we can do that. Yeah. We'll run a little bit long because it's you know it's it's the peak of draft season and there's just so much information out there you want to get your take on and uh, let's uh, let's bump onto the bullpen. How's that? Uh, how's that sound to you? Talk uh, talk a little bit of uh, some some closers. I'm, I'm gonna stay in in Tampa Bay real quick because you know we've been talking about some of the things with the Rays and the Rays closer situation. Everybody kind of accorded that to uh, Brad Boxberger. And say, well, okay, it's going to be Boxberger. It's going to be Boxberger. And I was not so quick to jump on that bandwagon. And I don't think I, I'm trying to remember where you were on that. But uh, talk about that real quick. Is I don't think Boxberger is going to be the guy opening day. What do you think? Well, I think again, you have to take into account the race philosophy. And yes, they've got a new manager, new general manager, whatever title they use, but they don't see the final three outs being the most important outs of every game. 
So they've never really held to the theory that your best relief pitcher should pitch the ninth inning. Um, was Fernando Rodney the best relief pitcher, even in his incredible year? Maybe that year. But they don't necessarily want to put that best pitcher out there. So Boxberger, is he the best reliever in the race? If if he pitches like he did last year, there's no doubt. But I think you have to question whether they want to use him in the ninth inning all the time. And I think there's a very good chance that you might see a, a Kevin Jepson sneak in there or even a Grant Balfour, who they've paid in, in Tampa Bay money. They've paid a pretty decent chunk of change. If Balfour comes back, he just got back in Tampa and uh, from his father, unfortunately, passed away. If he comes back and strings together some good outings, it wouldn't be, surprise me to see him get in the mix early in the season. And if he can bounce back to something close that he was in 213, you know, I don't think there's any guarantee that Jake McGee gets the job back. They, you know, Three outs in the ninth inning, it might not be the most important point. So if Balfour can pitch like he did in 2013, I don't think he's out of the question he could keep the job. Yeah, I think, and I, I don't know how popular this opinion is, but I think that right now, today, if the Rays season magically opened and you had a two-run lead in the ninth inning, I think Grant Balfour gets the ball. The experience in the role, he's obviously a veteran. He was really, really good for that uh, little three-, four-year span between, I think it was 2010 2013. This guy in 12 and 13, he saved 62 games combined. He's been decent this spring, gave up a solo home run, watched him pitch in his last outing. He looked fine, uh, was throwing strikes. And I, I just don't, I, I don't think that, uh, that the Rays are going to get far away from that. that. As you said, they gave him an awful lot of money in, in Tampa Bay terms to come in and, and close. So I think Balfour gets the ball right now unless he pitches himself out of the role, which he might. If he doesn't, though, I think he is going to be the guy on opening day. A lot can change, of course, between now and then, but as things stand now, and, and I'm not sure that I'm willing to to gamble a draft pick on any of those guys at this point, but I think Balfour, if, if you had me pick somebody, I think I would pick Balfour to, uh, to open in the, uh, on opening day. Folks, you are listening to the Sunday Night Sandlot on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Buck Davidson, along with the Roto Daddy himself, Mr. Doug Anderson. Sleepers and busts are our topics for this show. And we have talked a little bit about some starting pitchers that are flying below the radar and maybe some that are flying a little too high above the radar. Uh, the, uh, we have made our way to the bullpen. Just talked a little bit about the Tampa Bay Rays situation and how it's kind of a kind of a mixed uh, mixed bag right now. Doug, I want to talk uh, a little bit real quick about the Dodgers because that's another one that is is kind of wide open. And uh, Joel Peralta, who was a setup guy for Tampa Bay for years, is out there. But it looks like Brandon League is going to open the season on the DL. looks like he's going to be out for a, a month, maybe more. Kenley Jansen, of course, probably going to miss uh, close to a month with um, a foot operation. Uh, what what do you make of of the situation right now in uh, in Los Angeles? That's a that's a tough one to call. Yeah, to me, it's a situation where I don't know that I really want to go there, especially if you're talking about a 12 team mixed league. I don't know that you can feel comfortable with any pitchers there if you're strictly based on saves. So to me, there's nothing more frustrating 
than talking about writing about closer situations because they change so much. And then you're talking about a, a pitcher who might be closing for, you know, what, a month? So I, Peralta, last year he did not look comfortable. He wasn't the same pitcher he was. Right now Chris Hatcher looks like the guy they might turn to. But I, I honestly don't know that I want to rely on anybody in a mixed league. If you're in an NL-only league, yeah, I'm going to throw a buck or two at Hatcher, maybe at Peralta. But just realize they're not going to be – they're they're going to get you, what, four, five saves maybe? So just right. just don't go crazy reaching for a pitcher that's that's not going to be a long-term answer. And and don't forget about Kenley Jansen because, right. you know, you're looking at a month, especially, again, a head-to-head league. Do not let this guy fall too far. He has shown that he can be a near elite closer, arguably the third, fourth closer on the board, and don't let him fall too far. It's it's a foot injury. It's being taken care of. He's going to miss probably a month of the season, but don't let him get too far down the board because when this guy's on the field healthy, he can do the job. And if you're in a head-to-head, again, you want him there in, in August, September because that's when the the season really gets decided. Okay, Doug, I'm going to throw one out here for you, and I bet you I'm I'm going to go a little amazing Karnak here. I I think I can predict what your answer is going to be. (laughs) The category is first closer to lose his job in 2015. Let me go through these lists here. I am going to say Joe Nathan. Hey, you <laughs> congratulations. The hesitation was yeah. because I'm not sure if he's lost his job yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he actually or does he actually have the job right? Right. Uh, and and you know what pains me to say it because I used uh, Joe Nathan was one of the guys I used to draft all the time because he was as solid as a rock. Father time marches on. And I think that Nathan has, is getting close to the end of, a, of, of a, an illustrious career. 5.79 earned run average this spring. I, I'm seeing him. He's one of the last closers off the board, and it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's that he's not going to keep the job. Which brings us to our first sleeper pick, my first sleeper pick, who is Joaquin Soria. What do you think? Well, I just did an. AL only draft yesterday, auction yesterday, with a pretty experienced group of players, and I'll just tell you that Joe Nathan went for a buck at the very end of the draft, and Soria, I believe, went for eight or nine dollars. So that tells you where people think it's going. And you know, to, to me, Nathan, we talked about Wainwright, Nathan. It's kind of that situation where after so many years and so many innings, and especially the reliever who, you know, Joe Nathan has been a warrior throughout his career, you know, pitching, coming back from injuries, learning how to pitch with different types of stuff. So, you know, you have to admire what he's done, but at some point you just have to jump off the bandwagon and, and tell him he had a, he did a nice job for a lot of years and then move on. Right, and and if you draft Nathan – draft Soria right behind him. Um, and the same way, I'm, I'm actually seeing Soria go before Nathan. Soria in Kansas City showed he could close games. He can be a very effective closer. So if, if, you, if you've got one, you probably need to have the other because they look to be, there's, there's a couple others in that bullpen 
uh, Al Albuquerque and uh, Bruce Rondone, who is coming back from Tommy John, big arms, both of them. But for right now, it looks like Soria and Nathan. And as I say, it would be very surprising if, if Nathan had the job by the end of April. Uh, who who you got, Doug? Who do you like, uh, relief pitcher, sleeper, or bust? Well, I think when I'm when I'm talking sleepers for relief pitchers, I'm looking for future closers. So you're looking for situations where either the closer is struggling or maybe somebody gets traded. So I'm going to throw out two guys that I think will be closers before the year ends. One pretty much everybody knows about, I think, Ken Giles in Philadelphia. He's actually not – you know he's going fairly high. He's going in most twelve-team mixed leagues, and right now he's the setup guy. So that tells you that people think that's going to happen. Uh, another one I like is Kevin Quackenbush in San Diego. Joaquin Benoit has shown that he's a very good pitcher when he can take the mound. He's had issues going on back-to-back days before. There's always seems to be a little bit kind of off as far as his health goes. So I'm just thinking at some point either he breaks down or the Padres decide that maybe later in the year that he's a good trade chip. So I like Quackenbush, and not a lot of people are talking about him. You can get him pretty late. Yeah, and it's another of those situations, and you're probably going to see this in Boston, too, where you have uh, an older closer that is probably going to be given a day off from time to time. Just like you say, if if he's pitched on back-to-back days, probably not going to pitch three days in a row or, or maybe not pitch on back-to-back days or day game after night game, what have you. So if there is an obvious uh, understudy, a number two in that bullpen, and it's Quackenbush right now in San Diego, then, yeah, grab them. And in Boston, the picture's not quite as clear. It looks like Edward Mojica right now, but there's a couple guys that are uh, a little further down the, the depth chart in Junichi uh, Tazawa and um, – uh, Alexei Ogando, that could also be in that mix as well. So keep that in mind, and especially if these setup men, and Giles is a great example of one, can help you in terms of whip, ERA, and strikeouts per nine, then they're, they're, they may be worth rostering because they will give you help even if they're not closing games. Somebody like Mujica, not a big strikeout rate, and uh, if he's not closing games, he's probably somebody that, that doesn't belong on your roster unless it is just as a backup for, uh, for uh, Uehara. Uh, in, uh, talking about uh, low strikeout rates, Doug, going to talk uh, real quick about a, uh, a, a bust that I have in the bullpen. And the guy has probably gotten as much out of his abilities, and he's had a remarkable career as anybody. And I'm talking about Latroy Hawkins. Uh, last year he was just – supposed to be kind of, well, the right now option, but we had this guy, Rex Brothers, that was going to come in, and and he was going to be he was going to be our closer. Well, what happens? Hawkins holds the job all year, does a decent job for a pitching for a bad team. Strikeout rate is extremely low for a closer, Um, but it's almost, again, a foregone conclusion that Hawkins is not going to hold the job this year, and you have a guy named Adam Ottavino, that uh, took the setup job last year from Brothers, uh, go to ERA FIP again. ERA was 3.6. His FIP was 3.10. Second half, 2.53 earned run average. Uh, definitely an up-and-comer. Uh, throws very hard, mid-90s, uh, really good slider. A, a, a guy that, um, that is a, a, a solid pitcher that is kind of sitting there behind Hawkins, and everybody's going to kind of say, well, when's Hawkins going to lose the job? 
I don't know. Hawkins has been has surprised me again and again through his career. Uh, what what do you think? You think Hawkins could be somebody that uh, that loses his job sooner rather than later? It's funny because last year everybody pretty much assumed that Hawkins was a short term answer, and throughout his whole career it's kind of been that way where you know he's the guy. Well, he'll he'll do it for a while. So I don't think you can jump yeah. right to it, but at some point you got to think the Rockies their season is. I just don't see a winning team there at all. You know, if they can sell Hawkins as a, a veteran bullpen help later, I think at the latest that's when he loses the closer job, and it could happen sooner. Yeah, a thousand games the guy has appeared in, and take everything else off the table. You have to be really, really good to appear in a thousand major league baseball games. I mean, that's that's just it. You you gotta be pretty good at this game to for him to send you out there a thousand times. So. Uh, Big, uh, big congrats to Hawkins because getting out there a thousand times is uh, is definitely a noteworthy uh, achievement. Doug, who else you got in the uh, in the bullpen? Anybody else we need to talk about, or do we get on to uh, some spring training news? I got two more uh, sleepers, if we want to call them, them. Two more arms to keep an eye on, and they're both in the same bullpen. Okay, Hector Rondon kind of came out of last year, did a great job for the Cubs, and. I'm not necessarily predicting a bust for him, but he's had health issues in the past, and as a young pitcher, there's no guarantee. So there are two guys there. Everybody's thinking about Pedro Strop taking over in, you know, as the handcuff, so to say. But I think the two guys you need to keep an eye on, one, Jason Mott. He's closed before, coming back from our elbow injury. If he's back to where he was, you have to think about him. But the guy I've been grabbing in a lot of leagues, all of my NL only leagues, I think, is Neil Ramirez. Talking about a pitcher who had a 10.92 K per nine last year, a 1.44 ERA. Everything he did was pretty much for real. We're talking at one time he was a pretty highly thought of starting pitcher in the Texas system. Now he's moved to the bullpen. Everything's turned up a notch. I really like Neil Ramirez, and I don't know that he's going to get the closer gig, but. As far as a middle reliever goes, he's the one I'm grabbing in NL-only leagues, and I think good things are going to happen. Yeah, and a big-time strikeout rate. Another one of those guys that can help you out even if they're not closing right. games. And, and and by the way, can can, can I do a little uh, a, a shameless plug here real quick? Most certainly. Tell, tell people about the uh, closer chart that we have at so-called Fantasy Experts. We keep track of this, and... Uh, if there is a change or an imminent change, we use a, a rating system of three, two, and one, with three being a, a solid situation. For example, the Atlanta Braves currently are a three. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers are currently a one, because we don't really know who's going to close on, uh, on on opening day. Uh, same thing with Tampa Bay; they're also a one right now. So uh, we we keep track of that. So go on to the uh, the site at so-called fantasy experts and take a look. We put right up at the top what the last day was that we updated it. And if anything comes across the wire that is going to influence a, a closer situation, we're going to put it up there. Who who you got but, in charge of that, by the way, Doug? Well, you know, I usually handle that stuff all myself. Oh wait, actually, <laughs> we do have this guy who does a little bit of that. Yeah, I think it's Buck Davidson oh, yeah. handles that. Yeah, oh, that he's uh, oh, okay. he's you know getting his feet wet in the industry. So, but uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly though, with with a lot of people don't like to pay for saves. You know, you hear that all the time. Right. Well, if you don't, and I, I I tend to follow along those lines, 
although I try to grab usually a second-tier guy and then maybe a lower-tier right. guy. But if you're going to not pay for saves during the season, I don't know if there's an, a better way to keep your team in contention in that category. You have to keep an eye on you know how the bullpens are going. You have to know that. and uh, Your chart is incredible as far as you know it, it, it's updated anytime there's any kind of movement. And you're going to know who's next in line. So I think that's one way that if you're going to do – do that don't pay for saves thing you better be on top of this folks you're listening to the sunday night sandlot on blog talk radio i'm your host buck davidson along with doug anderson talking sleepers and busts tonight made our way through the starting rotation made our way through the bullpen before we leave the bullpen and talk spring training news doug anybody else we want to talk about in the relief pitcher role well you know i think when you're talking about relief it's all about opportunity and people can see that. But for me, I'm looking at two things. I look at the strikeout rate and batting average against. I like to pay attention to that. You know, you got to look at the other metrics too. But I want a pitcher who's got the stuff. And then that's going to be the place that I'm prospecting in for the bullpen if you have the reserve slots to do that. It's also, I know we probably can't talk about September, you know, August now, but it's also a nice way in keeper leagues later in the year, and I'll bring that up again, but target those guys where the closer's a free agent. You might get a, 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 a 2016 closer cheap. So bullpens, no, I don't like to pay for them, but I do like to try to exploit some of the, 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 the nuances of the position. Yeah, and as you said, you can't really look away because bullpens are, are so fluid and Maybe Atlanta, Kansas City, Cincinnati. Okay, that's pretty solid. But just about anywhere else, if you if you look away for for a little while, all of a sudden things have changed. And so that's that's one that you really have to follow on almost a daily basis, because when the time comes to get to the waiver wire, you need to make that move and make that move right now. Because if you wait, well, let me see what happens. Well, what happens is that somebody else has beaten you to the top three candidates to take the job. And you're you're kind of behind the eight ball on saves because you're sitting with the guy that now has lost his job. So don't wait too long. So very, very good advice indeed, Mr. Anderson. Let us talk spring training news. Now, a couple of things that have been at the top of the news. We talked a little bit about Chris Bryant. You can't talk about spring training without talking Chris Bryant. It, the guy is just showing incredible power. Had what do you have, four hits again yesterday. Actually didn't hit a home run yesterday. I think he's got nine home runs. And I, I just wrote something about rookie third baseman, and I advise everybody to pump the brakes a little bit on Chris Bryant. I see a star here. I see potentially a superstar here. But, Doug, let me throw a number out. Let me play over and under with you here. He's going to hit some home runs. That we know. Over and under, batting average, 270. What are you taking? Well, I think you set the line right about where I'd be going. So, you know, <sighs> It, it's tough because I, I think this is a special hitter. I think when you see batting average on balls in play from this guy year in and year out, I think it's going to be a lot higher than some other players because he just hits the ball so hard, so consistently. But the strikeouts, they're going to affect his batting, batting average. So I'm going to say under, but just barely. I think he's a 265, 270 hitter. So I think you set the line in the right place. But what everybody needs to keep in mind with him I don't see a 300 hitter here, and I don't know anybody that does. 
he's he's killing the ball in spring training right now. But if you're expecting to hit 300 during the season, I think you're going to be disappointed. Something else to keep in mind, and this, of course, has been uh, the, the big headline front page news. I am about as convinced as I can be that he is going to start in the minor leagues. They've they have kind of moved him to left field, try to get him to learn out there. I, I do not see any way that he starts the year with the with in the major leagues. Am, Doug, am I crazy about that, or are we pretty much on 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 point? Well, have you seen his footwork at third base? It's it's just terrible, it's and his and his and his shoulder is tired. And I mean, right. it's going to take at least three weeks to fix all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, so. you can sense sarcasm there, because there's nothing yeah. that should be holding this guy back. You know, right. he's he's not going to be a Gold Glove winner at third base, but from what I've seen and heard, he can field the position as well as average. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's just a matter of the contract and trying to get that extra right. year. So, as a Cub fan. I don't want him to start the season. You know, people say, "Well, don't you want your team to put the best best team on the field?" But I'm not going to trade the one year later on when he's in his prime for three weeks of a rookie player who might struggle a bit at the beginning. So yep. it's not going to happen. He's he's going to spend three weeks to a month down there. They'll call him up unless something strange happens down in AAA. But you're not going right. to see him in the first three weeks or so. Cut to the chase. Where do you take him right now? In a standard 12-team mixed league draft, where do you take him? I tell you what, it's moved up a lot, but I, I, you know, I'm ready to jump in the seventh round. I think you're going to get that kind of numbers once he comes up, and I think around that seventh or eighth round is where, yeah, they're good players, but but you can find a way, to, especially in a 12-team mixed league, you can find a way to scoop by for a few weeks and and you know have. A, some counting stats at least in there. So I think seventh or eighth round, depending on how my team's going, what I need, if I need power, I'm ready to jump. Now, it took him at 90 in an industry league, a head-to-head league the other night, and the consensus in the chat was uh, amongst the, the other league members was that was about right. It, uh, David Wright was mentioned as a, as a good comparable as far as somebody that would be going in the same range. So I felt good getting him at 90. I did not think he would have still been there at 103 or 105, whenever my next pick was going to be. So I, I felt fine getting him at uh, at 90. Going to stay with the Cubs, Doug. Um, Javier Baez uh, has this little issue with strikeouts, 17 of them in 48 <laughs> at-bats this year. Uh, Joe, uh, that's Joe improved. Madden, <laughs> that's improved. We, we said, you know, we don't read too much into spring training. Okay, that you can read into spring training stats because all it is is an affirmation and a confirmation of what we saw last year. Joe Madden basically said a roster spot was not a lock for this guy. What do you read into that? Anything? Is it is it for real? Do you really think he could start in the minor leagues? I do think he could. I think, you know, I, I don't know much about the makeup of Javier Baez, but with a player that has been so dominant in the minor leagues and so much talent, I think you want him to get on a roll and be his confidence be at its fullest before you stick him up in the major leagues. So we've seen in the past that he struggles when he moves up a level and then eventually starts to dominate. But I think right now if you stick him out there and he continues to struggle, you might be doing more damage than than good. So it's not going to surprise me if they send him down, let him get hot for a while in AAA, and maybe we bump uh, Arizmendi Alcantara up a little bit in our rankings. So he might be someone to use early in the season uh, 
and get a little more playing time than we thought. So Baez, I'm a fan because the tools are there and it's obvious, but I'm not sure it's going to happen right away. Yeah, and somebody else that could be heading to the minor leagues was uh, a, a former Cuban star that is in Arizona and started out at third base, and that <laughs> I hadn't seen him play a lot, but that didn't seem like a real good fit to me, and it's turned out that that's the case is Yosmani Tomas. Um, looks to have plenty of raw power, but he's had some troubles at third, and it looks like he's going to be a little bit of a defensive uh, question mark. I'm thinking that he starts in the minors. Do you agree? You know, I, I've seen a little video of him, and everybody expects that, the, the, well, our experience has been that these Cuban players are good. They're legit. So I think people were jumping on that that bandwagon, and I'm not sure it's going to happen. I think there's going to be some strikeouts. I think it's a low batting average. You know, he's got power. But what I, what I think is interesting here is there are so many moving parts in Arizona and it mostly affects NL-only leagues, but, you know, if he starts in the minor leagues, David Peralta looks like he'll get a lot more playing time. They're t- now third base, does Jake Lamb get that job? But now they're talking yeah. about Nick Ahmed starting at shortstop, Chris Owings maybe maybe moving over to second, and Aaron second. Hill moving to third. Right. So there's a lot of moving parts, and I know mixed leaguers might not care about too many of these players, but if you're in an NL-only league, there's – going to be some value to be had if we can figure out what's going to happen. Speaking of moving parts, uh, let's talk the Red Sox and the outfield. Awful lot of moving parts there. Um, and again, going back, going back to um, the former Cuban stars, uh, Rishni Castillo was a guy that was at the top of a lot of people's uh, Rookie of the Year candidate list because of what he did in, uh, in short term with the Red Sox last year. Well, all of a sudden now, Mookie Betts has been one of the biggest stories of the spring. He's hitting 487 through 13 games. Castillo has been good, but he was out with an injury for a while, kind of got a late start, and I'm wondering if Rosny Castillo starts the year at AAA because you have so many veterans already in the Red Sox outfield. I'm wondering if Castillo starts in the minors. What do you think? There's a possibility of that, but I would not overreact to it if he does. I still think... Shane Victorino, I wish I could credit who, where I read this, but I know I've I've read that people watching Victorino said he just hasn't looked right this spring. Plus, you have to take into account the health issues that Victorino always has. Before the end of this year, I think Castillo is going to be starting, Mookie Betts is going to be starting, and I think Shane Victorino is going to be either a sub, uh, you know, a, a fourth outfielder type pitch hitter, or he's going to be somewhere else. I just... I don't see the Red Sox, especially if they're in contention, they're going to want to play their best players. I know Victorino is the veteran and people like him, but I, I don't. I think people are going to overreact to Castillo getting sent down. He's still going to have value this year. I think a trade Victorino to the Dodgers. I hear they need outfield. Okay? <laughs> yeah, we could use some more <laughs> confusion in that situation. Uh-huh. Uh, staying in the outfield, uh, the Houston Astros. This is an intriguing move because a guy that has been going way above his ADP in an awful lot of expert leagues that I've that I've watched is George Springer, phenomenally talented young outfielder. And the Astros have said they are going to move him to the number two spot in the lineup. That's intriguing for a lot of reasons. He had 20 home runs in 78 games for the Astros last year. But in 2013, in the minors, he also stole 45 bases. 
So this guy can run. Are we maybe looking at a situation where he's not going to knock in as many runs, but he's going to steal more bases? He he swings and misses an awful lot, but he also has a pretty good uh, pitch selection skill. He he is not uh, he's not shy about drawing a walk. What what do we make of Springer moving to the two hole? Well, I think we were already expecting him to run a little more the second time around. I know last year ended with a quad injury, so you know you get worried anytime there's leg injuries about a player who whose value is going to be pretty largely dependent on some speed because the bat it has to you have to have that speed to kind of balance the batting average you're going to get from Springer. So I'm not I don't know if I'm exactly happy about the move to number two, but I think it does signal that there could be some more stolen bases on the way and. Uh, it, it doesn't change my overall valuation of Springer. I still like Springer a lot. Uh, he's going to hit a ton of homers. He's going to score runs because people see the strikeouts and they think free swinger. He's not really a free swinger. He he gets on base. He's going to have a good on-base percentage. So batting in the number two slot, he's going to score a ton of runs. The home runs, I think the RBIs will take care of themselves. He'll Even in batting number two, I think we'll talk 70 RBIs as long as he stays healthy. So if we can get that 15 to 20 stolen basis, then we're talking about the player we wanted. Yep. What uh, what else you got, Doug? What, what else is on the news out there that we want to talk about in spring training right now? Well, I think really it's mostly about how you handle spring training news. Watch, you know, watch the stats. Don't base too much. You know, I was arguing with someone the other day about Trevor Bauer, you know, he gave up the back-to-back-to-back home runs to the Cubs, and he's had some rough things. But what I look at is I see that he hasn't walked a batter yet, and he's working on some things. So am I excited about, you know, is this going to be the breakout year? I don't know that, but I like seeing that he's not walking hitters. So maybe late in the, late in the drafts, I pay a little more attention to Trevor Bauer. You know, if I've got a reserve slot, I, I slot Bauer in there because we know he's got the stuff to succeed and he's throwing strikes so that's a positive sign so no don't take the stats at their face value but do pay attention to them yeah good stuff and over the next five to ten days of course this is the busiest draft season of the year this is when a lot of the fantasy league drafts get uh, get done and I hope the last 90 minutes has given you some some food for thought, some things to think about, maybe changed your mind on some things, maybe some of the things you were thinking might have gotten confirmed by by what Doug and I have talked about over the last 90 minutes. Uh, so uh, good luck in your drafts this uh, this season and over the next few days. And uh, I'm, I'm going to look forward to seeing everybody next week. Doug, before we close, anything else to add? Uh, no, I'm, I have my last of, I think I'm up to 13 leagues. I have the last auction this afternoon, so uh, it's been a busy time. I will try to get more active on Twitter. I've been so buried in drafts and uh, website stuff, so follow me at RotoDaddy, and I'll, I'll try to kick up the Twitter action a little bit. And you can follow me at, at Buck Davidson, also on Twitter, and I look forward to hearing from you all out there with, uh, with your thoughts about the show. Well, folks, that will just about do it for this week's episode of the Sunday Night Sandlot. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'd love to see you again next week. Until then, for Doug Anderson, this is your host, Buck Davidson, saying somebody start the team bus. It's you, the post-game show. This one's in the history books. We'll see you next week, everybody. 